Hello world and welcome back to season two of Sounds of Diaspora and we're here this week to talk about a couple of different topics so um, first I want to explore a little bit about something I've been watching recently which is the Wu-Tang series on Disney Plus and it's a fictionalized um, biographical well I guess autobiographical because Zar was actually one of the producers and involved in making it but essentially it explores the story of the Wu-Tang Clan um, you know through through film and their come up and you know their background in Staten Island and I want to talk a little bit about you know such a group that made a big impact in hip-hop in music in rap um, in ciphers you know in bringing communities together using music and think about where some of the inspirations came from family identity religion and I wanted to link that a little bit to my experiences um, of, you know, experiencing music um, through a community sense and experiencing music through, you know, familial experiences, through love, through through life, through relationships and thinking about some of the music that my mum passed down to me, my brothers and sisters. So there'll be a bit of a theme of music and connection. And on that theme, I'm also going to interview a couple of really interesting people. I mean, all around me, I'm surrounded by creatives. I'm very lucky for that. And everybody has loads of loads of interesting stories about how their heritage and culture has impacted the creativity they currently produce. So we're going to explore some stories through kind of interviews, but I want you to think of them more as conversations. And I was saying to my friend, Ebu, that uh, conversations are really, really powerful. And sometimes I'm having conversations with people and I'm like, I wish somebody was secretly recording this because you, sir, are spitting. Um, So this is kind of in a hope to emulate that, keeping it as natural as possible and to explore music through people's stories and and through real, real life. So stay tuned. Uh, We'll start this first part with a bit of Wu-Tang, a bit of Wu-Tang history and reflection and... Stay tuned, this should be a good episode. So if somehow you're living on the rock and have never heard of the Wu-Tang Clan, they're an American hip-hop collective from Staten Island, New York, and they formed in 1992. So members include RZA, Jizza, Method Man, Raekwon, Ghostface Killer, Inspector Deck, You God, Master Killer, Old Dirty Bastard, rest in peace, he's now passed away, and Capadonna later joined. So a group of rappers who, um, a lot of them released music individually, but they originated in this kind of group setting in New York. And they all came from the hood. Um, You know, they all grew up in kind of a culture of, you know, gangs, violence, poverty, et cetera, et cetera. And music was like it is for many people, a way out and a a way to fame, the way to success, and their success was unprecedented. So Wu-Tang, when you hear the name, you kind of think, okay, what does that mean? It's got kind of Asian connotations. And actually the name Wu-Tang comes from a reference to a martial art film, so Shaolin and the Wu-Tang. And um, the Taoist holy mountain located in central China is kind of where the origins of the word came from. But in the sense of this hip hop collective, they were inspired by these martial arts films that he really used to watch. So um, there was kind of this Asian Chinese influence on a lot of the fundamental values of their group. So in these films, brotherhood was really um, exercised. Obviously, this is like in martial arts, so fighting brotherhood against armies and stuff. But they extrapolated these themes of brotherhood, honor, loyalty, and made them a part of their group's kind of ethos. And also another reference to the name or um, what the group have said the acronym are for is witty, unpredictable, talented, and natural game. Uh, and which is about them pushing boundaries in the music industry, you know, being unpredictable, doing things that have never been done before. A name means a lot, whether that's for musicians or, you know, people born, um, you know, I say people born, normal people, uh, I guess musicians are normal people, <laughs> but even within Yoruba culture, there is a lot of significance. So Yoruba culture is Nigerian, a tribe in Nigeria for context, my tribe. And within um, not just Yoruba culture, but many cultures, a name is considered an important part of a person's identity, social status, influencing their destiny and shaping their life's journey. So I know when there's twins um, in some cultures as well, um, the twins are named 
specifically to highlight the fact that there are twins and there's this kind of ancient history and almost magic and you know surrealism about the power of twins um but yeah names are more than mere labels they reflect the cultural heritage and beliefs of the people they're assigned to and it's the same for the wu-tang clan it's really important that that name really embodies who they are they're different you know they're not they're rappers and they have influence from like i said asian asian martial art films so they're not like other people straight away you say wu-tang you don't expect it to be this group of black men from staten island rapping so already breaking barriers pushing out of norms with their name and if i reflect on my name so my name my full name well i'm not gonna give you my full name but parts of my name so tumi tumi ninu uh means comfort and you know that sets the scene for a lot of my life experiences whether that's by coincidence or by by virtue of the name um so ogun is um the god of iron the orisha so um, traditional yoruba deity god of iron god of war and god of rum so ogun is also a state in nigeria so this says about me it says something about me about where i'm from where my family from and where my history is from you often see with nigerian names as well of god so i think damisi is related to being of god i need to double check that one but yeah a name can tell you a lot about where somebody's from the things their parents believe in and can become a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way shape or form so really really important um, and Wu-Tang Clan is now a household household name. Most people have heard of them and their success has been monumental. So now I want to think about, now I've gone through some of the history. Um, I want to think about particularly some of their foundational tracks and where their inspiration was from. And even though the Wu-Tang series is fictionalized, there was some really nice scenes depicting Riza and his mother and kind of the records she would hand down to him. And where Riza being one of the kind of the leader, I'd say, or the kind of the leading member of the Wu-Tang Clan, who not only rapped, but was a big part of producing the tracks and getting the samples. And sampling is really big within Wu-Tang music. Um, so just exploring how, where he got these samples from, where he got these inspirations from, um, and where he got his music from. So it's been argued that Rizza was one of the first people to sample audio from a film and one of the greatest samplers in history. Um, and their obsession with kind of samurai films and motifs of fighting was represented within their music. So Rizza was viewed using his turntable and his mic as his weapons. Um, his weapons, his words were his weapons, his lyrics were his weapons. And this is how he fought in a place where, you know, gun violence and knife violence was really profound. Instead of picking up a knife, he picked up a pen and transferred this kind of samurai narrative to hip hop, which impacted across generations. So one example of a film moment that Rizar sampled was the master of the flying guillotine 1976 samurai movie as well as executioners from uh, shaolin so 1977 and using the nine vocalists and layering their kind of uh, raps and their stories and their characters he created and master like masterminded this really great fusion of of kind of film audio rap and sound to create these great bodies of work so he showed this great skill of taking already existing premise stories themes and interweaving it with the personal stories and words of his co-group members and create something really amazing. And this has had massive impacts on later artists like MF Doom or even Ye, if we think of Jay-Z, um, Niggas in Paris, where he uh, references Will Ferrell's, not references, samples Will Ferrell. You know the part where he's like, it's provocative. I know um, it gets the people going. That is like, that must be the hardest. If you're at a party and, and niggas in Paris is playing and it gets the Will Ferrell part, you just know, everybody knows it makes it so lit. It's so unique. It's so stand out and it's something so cool in music. And I reckon that stuff like that wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for Rizza. Um, even Kendrick's been seen doing the same sort of things. And now sampling's gone to another level. Songs sample other songs from other genres, from other eras. Songs sample songs that have sampled songs. <laughs> songs are sampling remixes. All of the biggest artists are doing it. Um, yeah, Kanye, Notorious. Jay-Z, Notorious. You've got like Blood on Leaves, Nina Simone um, being sampled, or at least her cover of Billie Holiday's uh, Strange Fruit being sampled. You've got 
all all sorts of things and these are classics i would argue there's a bit of oversampling now um and it gets a bit jarring like obviously you've got burner boys sitting on top of the world as a sample of tony braxton's he wasn't man enough blue it completely blew up so i can't even argue me personally i don't know if i'm a fan but um yeah i don't know about maybe things are being oversampled now i think the key to sampling is that it, I feel like it shouldn't be just done nilly-willy. Like, I don't like the idea of an artist getting a sample and they're like, okay, what am I going to do with this? I like the idea of, okay, I want to create this concept, this piece of music, and this sample plays a really specific purpose and brings something to this. So I think when Nina Simone, Blood on the Leaves, was sampled, it's making references and allusions to Jim Crow, you know, black liberation or black oppression, that it serves a purpose. Um... And I think that's when sampling is the most useful, like with Riza and with the Wu-Tang Clan. These things were sampled to show those themes of solidarity and brotherhood. So I think sampling should be very intentional. Um, and I think TikTok is having a big effect on how sampling is used now. The TikTokification of music, I can do a whole episode about that. I'm not going to do it because it's just going to sound like a Gen Z or even millennial rant, but you know, it's that it's easy because it's accessible to generations. And there's some amazing, amazing samples. I'm not I'm not shitting on samples, but I think intentionality is really important in music um, over marketability. Easy for me to say as somebody who's not a musician trying to pay my bills. But if we're talking about the core essence of music and what makes it special, then yeah. But going back to the Wu-Tang, um, past their use of sampling and thinking about where did some of Rizar's um, inspiration come from? So... There's a scene in the series where he's with his mum and they are sitting in his kind of basement slash music production room going through records that he kind of stole from her. And it it was quite nostalgic to me because I even now I have records um, that were my mum's. Um, again, Billie Holiday, I think, just old 50s, 60s, 70s kind of artists. And that's where we really connected. So we turned to their influence from a range of kind of different backgrounds. So I spoke to you a little bit about RZA, the records uh, handed down from his mum and that kind of familial passing down of music. Some I definitely experienced myself. Some of my earliest memories of music were long car trips in my dad's car and him blasting reggae, country music, Afrobeat, gospel music. And a lot of those songs come from those experiences. We used to road trip as well for Europe and I have very like cool memories placed with that. My emo phase, shout out to my older sister. She, I would never admit it to her face. Actually, I would now, but my emo phase came from her. She got me into the fallout boys and the rock and all of that stuff. So it's kind of beautiful when you take and associate music. If I think about what music I got from my elder brother, my younger elder brother, there's a specific song by Chip Oopsie Daisy. Um, that whole era, Channel AKA, Channel U, that was all very like linked to my brother. So it's really interesting to think about where we get our inspirations from. Another kind of inspiration for Wu-Tang and their whole conceptualization is from the idea of the Asiatic black man and the 5%. So kind of a religious group, kind of more popularized a few years ago, but it could be described as a black nationalist religious organization based in New York City. Uh, the debut album of the Wu-Tang took a lot of inspiration from the concept of the 5% nation and from New York itself and New York culture you know, from the Bronx. So a lot of their first performances were like house parties in the Bronx. So one of their big breakthrough performances was in the West Bronx, where an immigrant Jamaican DJ, DJ Paul Hurt Campbell, kind of started playing their music. And it was just a normal kind of get together. But it was something really exciting for this audience, where there was this strip down and let go of everything culture, where the rhythm, the voice, the music were all a part of it coming together. And that was one of the first times that the Wu-Tang really saw the impact of their music. And this has been passed down through generations. And RZA played a really active role in delivering a platform for members of his group to launch their own careers. That's something that's really beautiful. And the real key difference between a collective and a group, at least to me, where groups kind of, they exist in formation together, a collaboration with their talents. But what's special about collectives, and RZA really championed this, is allowing members to affiliate, kind of come in and out. So we see that in modern groups like NSG, where the members of NSG, I swear, they change every like every week. There's a new band. I'm like, OK, I guess you're part of NSG or you do this on dreads and good vibes. Um, but yeah, with RZA, he really allowed um, that 
flexibility uh, for the clan members. So Method Man, Ghostface Killer, Jizar, Raekwon, Old Dirty Bastard. They've made appearances on dozens of artists' recordings across the music spectrum. Um, Method Man's even gone to like star in you know, power. So they have that movement and that freedom to be themselves, but also come together. And there's something really beautiful about that. And I think it's inspired the likes of other artists and newer collectives. And Rizza himself has been really instrumental in writing soundtracks for television series and films, producing for artists like Cypress Hill, York, Blink-182 even, Travis Barker, Kanye West. So this was really revolutionary. This was massive. And as we move forward in this episode, we can see how across the globe in the UK, similar things were being done with So Solid Crew, Mystique, and how that's translated now to current modern collectivism in music. When Wu-Tang was created, Rizal said to his members, and I quote, so I asked for five years of their lives. That five years, I used the analogy. I want you to get on the bus and I'm the driver. And don't ask me where I'm going. I promise you in five years, we'll be number one. I delivered on the promise. So the power of collectives and revolutionizing music was clear from all those years ago and inspired not only in the US, but across the world. In the UK, other collectives to do similar things. And that's how we come to So Solid Crew. So So Solid Crew are a British garage and hip hop collective who kind of started in Battersea in the early 2000s. And they have initially had 19 members with notable ones being Asha D. So Ashley Waters, you might have seen him in Top Boy. Um, Lisa Mafia, Harvey, Romeo, Mega Man. So they were MC orientated and really were a pillar of grime in the UK. And following their initial 19 members, they expanded to 30, really kind of showing the influence on other groups like Dreamville, with members coming in and out. You've got NSG now. If you're still waiting for somebody to tell me exactly who is an NSG. <laughs> you know the main ones from the Twitter Warrior days. But there is something beautiful about the dynamic and fun and really diverse nature of these collectives. So So Solid Crew even had So Solid Kids. They had the kids rapping and rapping. So um, back in the days, we kind of had pirate radio stations as the main you know, format of music, underground music that wasn't accepted in the mainstream. SSC, like Supreme FM, Delight FM. This is where people found their music. And So Solid really went in on that and created So Solid Sundays. So around lunchtime to like 10, there was different shows and different members would rap on tracks um, and they'd do it for up to like two hours each session. On Christmas Day in 2001, you know, they, they performed their last ever show on the station. And this just shows the creative ways artists had to use platforms and use spaces that were kind of accessible to the people they were trying to reach out to in a very different way from now um, to reach success. And now we've seen how music has changed with technology and, and you know, with globalization, with TikTok being a real drive behind a lot of strategy for artists to be creative in the ways they showcase their music, whether that be with a challenge or a dance. This being said, look, TikTok trends, I feel like I hate on them, but in a way, if it gets your music out, you know, as an artist, you have to kind of respect from different perspectives the things artists have to do. But let's be real, the TikTokification of music is quite um, alarming because it does force a lot of artists to create music that may not be authentic to them to, you know, stay relevant and do what everyone's doing. And it just shows how music is so contextually relevant to time, politics. We see with a lot of artists performing like with aid concerts to in support of Gaza, Sudan, you know, this is really showing where artists stand and what their music represents. Um, so going back to so Solid Crew, they now produce tracks independently. So that's one of the things about collectives similar to Wu-Tang that are really engaging the fact that these artists have the freedom to be their own individual people and make their own individual music, but also come back together and have that chemistry and that freedom, which is not always available in an industry where a lot of artists have been exploited by labels um, and have had to fight to go independent to really be themselves and, and be genuine and have the real success they deserve. It's little Sims, Ray, to, to mention a few. Yeah, So Solid Crew, really big in the UK, something that hasn't really happened before in that way and really a first. And Harvey, you know, gone solo and went to produce with JME, Skeptar, 50 Cent, 
He was on, um, what's it called? Power, Get Rich or Die Trying. So yeah, they really made a big influence on grinding the UK hip hop scene. And they weren't the only ones. Looking over to Mystique, black women in music are often underrepresented, um, particularly collectives. You know, um, Mystique were one of the first kind of girl groups to really succeed. They had two top 10 albums, seven consecutive top 10 singles in the noughties, composed of Alicia Dixon, Sabrina, Sue Elise. Um, the group formed in the late 90s. At the same time as So Solid Crew, like Craig David, Dizzy Rascal, that era. And they were pretty much the only black British girl group out at the time. And they often opened up about their experiences facing the noir, with Sabrina being told that the darker skin girls don't sell magazines and that big record executives would not sell in the UK. Um, crazy, right? Um, now we've seen a lot of changes in, you know, how black women are represented. There's still a lot of issues, but one thing to highlight, a positive thing is a new, not even new, I think they've been around for a year or so, Black Music Collective started and championed by black women ARs, um, who have really advocated for black music. And one thing they did was they changed the way that black artists are represented by genre. So I went to an Amazon Music Prime event with Kamali Squat, who's an AR, who was a really big part of starting um, this revolution. And noticed that a lot of black women were being labeled as, you know, or not even black women, black artists in the UK were being genred as rap, grime, or basically mis misgenred, you know, because they're black, they're urban. Why are we using the word urban? And they actually got rid of um, the, the mainstream use of the word urban within those spaces by campaigning. And they've started this uh, collective that gives opportunities and support for black people in the AR industry and the music industry, which is really inspiring. And I'm sure a group like Mystique would really need and love to have a resource like that in those days. Um, so yeah, the garage sound scene, you know, UK female garage MCs really being the first of their times. And there's a lot of power in the fact like Alicia Dixon in general refused to feminize her voice and style for a heteronormative, heteronormative industry and remained authentic to her inspirations and upbringing. So there's something about collectives that allows people to lean on and not be alone in a really rough industry and bring out the best in each other, wherever that's going bar to bar, back to back, and really ripping off each other's energy, whether that's harmonising, it's insane. So another collective that I really admire, um, Dreamville. I love J. Cole. I don't know if I've made that clear on this podcast in the past, but I'm a big fan of J. Cole and his music. And he is the instrumental kind of creator of the label slash collective Dreamville and has ownership independence within an exploitative music industry. So again, really championing liberation for artists who've been restricted and restrained. And Dreamville is a dynamic group with artists coming in and out and collaborating. And J. Cole really got to explore the production side of in Revenge of the Dreamers of bringing artists together you know, mixing and yeah, really bringing out the best in these people that he respects and, and goes on to collaborate with. So the collective is composed of Cole, Bass, Ari Lennox, Omen, Earthgang, Cause, and Jerry as the kind of core members, with Ari being one of the only female members of the collective. And Cole described the dream role as, we have the label of the connected age, the creators of stories, keeping a pulse on our community while exploring new sounds, new visuals, and new ways to authentically and genuinely connect with all people around the world. So built by J. Colin Ibrahim, Dreamville is different to the average collective. They wanted to develop their label record, their record label over time, and wanted every connection removed to be as organic as possible. And a lot of the members of the collective are longtime friends, meeting each other through mutual friends or at university. So there really is a familiar sense to the music they make. And J. Cole says after his headline performance at Dreamfield Festival that he's a fan of every single one of his artists and familiar with all their songs and it really, really champions their individual careers, which seems to be a key element in the success between these groups and these collectives and kind of making them different from groups, you know, being allowed to exist as individuals, but also together. Um, and yeah, Ibrahim states in an interview with Forbes that we have a brand that is really realistic and understands people. If there were zero dollars available for Dreamville, we would still have artists doing what they do 
because they believe in their dreams and what they want to say. Showing how Dreamville focuses, Dreamville, sorry, focuses on their artists and the development of talent rather than being commercial and being restricted with it. You know, I think Cole's got to the level of success that he can really show true artistry. And I say that being someone who prefers mainly old J. Cole, but from a production element, from a like collective element, he's reached a level of success where he has the tools to really create something fantastic. And I, I love Revenge of the Dreamers. I love, I went to see J.I.D. and Zane, Bass, Earth Gang, like, yeah, you gotta love it. So yeah, um, J. Cole said when signing, um, so on the Rap Radar podcast, he said every time he considers signing an artist to Dreamville, they have to go for a dating period where for months they're kind of back-to-back working together, meeting the other artists, establishing relationships, and that's really important in being a part of the group. That being said, members come in and out, so we saw loads of collaborations, and um, Cole had a sessions where like different artists came in, just spat on some tracks and decided who are we going to keep, who's going to get discarded, and the best one stayed, and that created a really amazing album. So something really unique, again, and original in, in music, and really exciting and inspiring. Lastly, I want to touch a little bit on ciphers and thinking about the power that ciphers can have to really promote artists and make them, give them a platform to to be big and to be exposed to audiences that they wouldn't usually interact with. So you've got like Fire in the Booth, Charlie Sloth. He is a really big figure in, in the UK scene for bringing in artists together. I was watching his 2014 Fire in the Booth a couple of days ago. It was about three hours long. But when I told you, I could not turn it off. It was so, so cold. It had Stormzy, it had Gets, it had put a, put a paper, um, it had No Lay, like really, really amazing artists freestyling over different beats back to back, riffing off each other, coming in, coming out. And one thing about ciphers that are, so just context, like what is a cipher to anyone who doesn't know? Ciphers, again, are kind of different to you know, groups or like groups creating music in the sense that they're more one-off. So a group of artists might come together and, um, you know, a DJ or a producer might run a couple tracks. And then it's like a sequence of, of people rapping and often freestyling back to back. Um, you see this like in the rap game UK, for example. So you might have a cypher with the contestants all going back to back to see who's the best. Um, and collaboration is really at the heart of some of the best of the best music. Cyphers provide a chance for artists to kind of feed off each other's energy and showcase their creativity and also kind of has the sense of competition, right? The person going before you in the cypher, if they've done really well, if they've got a wheel up in that 2014, Stormzy got reloaded. No one's trying to follow the guy with the wheel up. <laughs> or if you are, you've got to do something that's just as impressive. So I think cyphers really allow artists to bring out the, the best in each other. And again, with Wu-Tang, a lot of their original music was cypher style. A lot of other famous ciphers are like XXL freshman ciphers. So in America, every year, they've kind of got the, the freshmen, the new, the group. So they, you had one with like 2016 Kodak, Savage, 21 Savage, Uzi, Yachi, Denzel Curry. That video has about 205 million views. In the UK, um, a lot of um, UK rappers have ciphers. Lato, Big Lato, she did her first like freshman XL style female, all female cipher. So we had her, Flo Millie, Monaleo, Maya the Don. Uh, Mellow Bucks and Big Lato and was really, really, really good. It was really exciting to see all female ciphers because that's, I think often when you see these ciphers, it's like a bunch of, a bunch of people and then you've kind of just got one woman in it. And it's nice to kind of see, you know, people like Cristali as well. Um, Cristali, uh, George, a lot of these new artists, Trillery Banks, uh, Miss Familiar, Ads, um, Back Row G, Nux. So they came together for a cypher as well. And a lot of people argue the women stole the show. So, um, but yeah, cyphers are a really fun way for artists to, to really be inspired by each other in a more one-off sense. And they exist in a very temporary moment as well, which is exciting. You know, you've got a collective and they release albums you can listen back and back. But with these cyphers, it's like, you may never hear an instance of music where you're hearing Stormzy, Potter Paper, Gets, et cetera, et cetera collaborate together this this is kind of a once in a once in a in a decade you know century kind of opportunity so these ciphers are really special and, and have existed in the industry as a long time also to allow more experienced artists to learn to connect with newer artists and really creating this 
these spaces of connection and building and, and collaboration. So ciphers are great. And it's really great to see um, current music and the current scene pick up from, from ciphers because I think when grime was really picking up, that was when ciphers were really popularized, you know, JME and BBK, Boy Better Know, that was very much their, their main, you know, outlet, their main, their main style was going back to back freestyle and ciphers, that kind of vibe. And I think now it's maybe less popularized, but it'd be really great to see more cypher style um, work come back. Definitely. Cyphers also allow the chance for different rappers with different styles who may not usually collaborate. You know, you might not think to see an album with X and Y, but on a cypher, all the rules go out the window because it's just about who's next to grab the mic and who's running next. So again, they create these really unique and beautiful opportunities for artists to collab and if you go back to, or if you think about our interview with our upcoming special guest artist, um, she speaks about how the formation of the community, which you'll hear about more, comes from this kind of initial link up of creatives just chilling in a space and riffing off each other, going back to back, adding in bars, adding in lines. And eventually this comes and becomes a something beautiful that other people want to hear. So bring back the sci-fi 2024. <laughs> introduce yourself who are you what brings you here today and who are you <laughs> um hey my name is man ab i'm a singer songwriter um and what brings me here today i'm here to chat to you kindly very kindly and singer songwriter what kind of music do you create i make jazz r&b neo soul music but it's more like alternative because it's really any genre what it used to be nowadays <laughs> mm. How do you feel about being or having to answer that question, actually? What type of music do you make? Do you feel like that's a question that is actually still useful? Um, I feel like it can be kind of useful, but it can be an awkward question because sometimes, like, because like I said, like, genre is not really what it used to be. So if I tell you I'm an R&B singer, I'm not going to be giving you brandy vibes, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um so I feel like it could be helpful. Some It depends on who you're talking to, to be honest. <laughs> it really just depends on who you're talking to. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, my first question is, what song reminds you of home? What song reminds me of home? Killing Me Softly by Lauren Hill. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit more? Yeah. Um, I say that song reminds me of home because it was just my mom's favourite song. Um, and it was one of them songs where it's like everybody knew that that was her favourite song. Mm-hmm. And she, when she played, we'd like play the song, she'd be singing it. And like, she couldn't sing, but she'd be singing her heart out. Um, so I think that song always reminds me of her. Whenever it's her birthday, like we'll play the song. So, yeah. Nice. That, that song reminds me of her. I'm that she couldn't sing. Where did you get your voice from? Can, you, can your dad sing? Uh, nope. That's what everybody's trying to figure out. <laughs> generation. Maybe your grandma. <laughs> I mean, she could sing a little tune, but, you know, she, it wasn't really like... Mm. life-changing ground shaking vocals mm-hmm. from my grandma Eva. so yeah yeah <laughs> and what was your earliest memory of music or what is your earliest memory of music um I feel like I've been around music my whole life because my dad's always had a sound system and he's always liked to select tunes so I've grown up around like I've grown up around reggae like not so much dancehall my dad was never really a dancehall babe like kind of the old like slow and ones like hip-hop and then I have like family who did classical music and stuff. So next, like my next door neighbors are my cousins. And like, mm. it was like, um, I think it's a semi-detached. So it's like, I could hear what was going on in their house. So my cousin, she now plays the bassoon and she's like, she's like a virtuoso. She plays in orchestras. You know, Chinake, that black orchestra. Mm. She plays for them. Um, but she used to play the violin at one point. My cousin played the drums. My other cousins, like there's a piano there. And my other cousin played the tuba for a little bit, but that died quickly. Um, so I was just, I had classical on one side and then I had like the kind of like new school on the other side. So it was, it was really interesting. <laughs> I think, and if you don't know, you probably won't know, but Nyana has thrown a couple parties and event, not just you, oh, but your shame. Nyana, your first, the, when lockdown ended, the first, <laughs> the first time after, after lockdown, the first place I went to was Nyana's, Nyana's birthday. I 
Not only did we're not going to talk about that me was so much fun. We're not going to talk about me crashing the boat. We're going to talk about the so music. Did I ever. Ciao. As okay, let's talk about the music. But we're going to talk about the music and how music was, you know, such. Like in your house, I kind of associate that going to your place with music playing, people coming together. And I know you do a little festival every year. You want to tell us a little bit about oh, that? Yeah. So um, my dad, my dad just loves music, innit? Like he's always had speakers in the house. From as long as I can remember, my dad has had a sound system set up. And every year as I've got older, as I've gotten older and older, my dad has like increased his sound system because I don't know, that's just like, you know, some people like to like to smoke cigars. My dad likes sound systems. Um and like he thought it'd be like a good idea to be able to like every when I was growing up, our house was always full of people. There's music playing, there's people coming in, there's cooking, there's vibes every weekend, like even sometimes during the week. So like it was just a regular thing. And my dad, he just kind of wanted to show his support, also have the opportunity for, for me to raise some money for my um for like uni and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and then I also have an uncle who like does um he used to work for like Red Bull building stages and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he like has a connection to like for like all the sound stuff. So um my dad was like, Well, why don't we just put a, a concert on in the back garden? Like might as well. So my uncle called a couple of people, called in a couple of favors, and we set up a we set up a stage. And then I got some of my friends to like do some do a set. And then um and then yeah, like and then I did a little performance in the back garden. And then now we do it every year. Um, my dad's doing another one this year, but he's doing it even bigger because it's his 60th birthday. So you're invited. But it does sound like to me that what I'm hearing from all of this is that your community is a big part of your music. You know, whether it's yeah. your uncle, your dad, your cousins, your neighbours, the people you bring in, it feels like music has this power of bringing together the people you love in your life and, like, everyone's got their little skills and their things to pitch in, whether it's the stage or the speakers, you've got the voice and then you've got your friends in the decks. There's this kind of, yeah, there's this community feeling. And I think that's a really great segue in telling me a bit about where do you want to start, Ori or the community? I feel like is Ori chronologically the best place. Tell yeah, me I think Ori is the best tell place. The, tell the listeners because I I know what, but t- tell us. Um, so for those of the, of the listeners who don't know what Ori Jam is, Ori Jam is the biggest improvised jazz night in London that there is. Um, and they've extended it. It used to be every Monday night, but now it's a Monday and a Tuesday night. On the Monday night is in East London, and on the Tuesday night is in South London. But the one on the Tuesday, on the Monday is the bigger one. Yeah, I started going off the lockdown, and then my friend was like hosting it um, for one night for one of the lights, just hosting it because the main host Jermaine, who isn't the host anymore, but um, he was hosting it, and was like, "I'll oh, come down." And I went, and from then every Monday I went like religiously, and I, I, like for those of you ha- for those who haven't been, like the whole night consists like the first half is just all improvised jazz, but obviously it's like a cross fusion of all these different genres as well. So it's jazz, there's like hip hop, there's literally everything you can think of is played, and then the instrumentalists like switch in and out, so it's just like constantly changing, constantly on your toes. There's big vocalists, there's rappers, there's spoken word artists. Every now and then there's like these like there's a, a big tuba, there's a harp, or like or there's a pan player, like there'll be random like Thundercat was there one time, Esperanza Spalding pulled through, like blue light beats are just there on a regular basis. Like so I every Monday I was there. Like I was there um just kind of like nurturing my craft, um, just learning because I feel like it was a because there was a stage every Monday. It was an opportunity to like get more confident on the stage. Mm-hmm. And this whole freestyling stuff, I'd never done it before. And I was like, oh, I just want to sing. So I started practicing that. And then yeah, that, then and then eventually, when you go to a place every day, like, or every Monday, like for a couple of months, you start to recognize people. <laughs> Tell me about DC. Tell me about it. Um. So DC. We all just used to go, like, we all just used to go, Ori, like, every Monday, all of us were there in it. And then it was, like, it was a thing where we all just, you know, and it's just, like, like, you're hard, you're hard, you're hard. So, obviously, I'm going to talk to you. And, like, we're all, like, because in, like, before Mezzo's Corner was even Mezzo's Corner, in the break, like, someone would have an instrument and just be, like, just, it would literally just be rhythm, in it? It would just be someone hitting down rhythm and, like, people were throwing in their bars. 
Then every now and then I throw in a cheeky little bar. And then like Simon will be across from me, she'll throw in a cheeky little bar. Mm-hmm. And then Mezzo will be over there. And then he bought his guitar. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it just kind of kept happening. And then at the end of Ori, like we all used to stay back. Like we'd be mm-hmm. there until like three, four in the morning, just mm-hmm. jamming, just jamming. Um, and then all of us would be in that vicinity. So it's like all of us knew each other or had mutuals with each other. So it's like Mezzo knew J2 and then J2 knew somebody and somebody like there was always. And then we just started talking. And we just started talking. And then because we were always there, we was continuously talking. And then and then I made a group chat on Instagram. And I was like, all the people that, you know, that was that was there. And then it just kind of went from there. Mm-hmm. And then we started like doing link ups outside of Ori Jam. And then we then we started talking. And you know when you're like we as a group of people and like all of you have a, the interest and the and like you all have the drive and like you all have the talent. So it was like, okay, well, we might as well do something and yeah. the name of the community it came out by d wills i think he just made a joke and was like what because he was like for time like what well, we need a name that like, we need a name <laughs> um and then yeah he came up with a name and all of us were like yeah the community works like it's it. it, it really summarized it and it sounds really organic which is nice it, it sounds like you you gravitated towards each other which is really beautiful yeah, definitely. and it really reminds me of like when i was looking into dreamville for example and how that collective formed it's like the you know j cole went to like school with bass and then it was like his brother and then it's like this. so it's very natural it's not like i was looking to make this collective it's no it's you're an artist that i respect i think in the interview j cole was like he's a massive fan of every single artist in his collective and yeah it's just very you know the synergy is there um and i guess how do you think being because you're you know a solo artist man i be you do your thing and most up until recently or in the last couple of years you've released singles on your own so how has it been collaborating um with other artists and working within this community how has that developed your craft as a creative um i think it's really put like put weight to to the phrase that there's power in numbers um i feel like when you move as like an entity like you can get a lot more done especially because one thing that about DC is that like we're a multi like a multidiscipline creative collective. So all of us do with everything. So we have photographers, videographers, um, like, like writers, rappers, singers, like everything you can think of creatively. There's probably one of us in the group chat. Um, and like it's a thing where it's just a lot of perspective. Being an artist is a very is a very like it's a very isolating <laughs> job to do because mm-hmm. you have to be in a studio, you have to make your music, you have to then obviously work producing and stuff. But at the end of the day, it always goes back to you in it. So to be able to have like a group of people who are on a similar journey, and obviously everybody's art, every artist's journey is different. No two artists will have the same journey, even if they're making similar music. Even if their music sounds the same, they mm-hmm. won't have the same journey in it. Mm-hmm. So it's like to be able to like talk to people who are like on a different angle or like just have a different approach or can give you some advice. And it's like, oh, like, shit, my producer's like pissing me off. Oh, you chat, chat. Oh, sorry, I don't know if I can swear, but... <laughs> um, but then it's like, then you could chat to like, I could chat to like J2, like, oh, J2, like, mm-hmm. give me a producer that you think would be a good vibe or, do you know what I'm saying? Or it's like, oh, I need some extra backing vocals on this track. I'll shout like Alison or shout Esther. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if I just, I need a, I need a visualizer. It's like, here, Bob, help me visualize. Or can you direct this for me? Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just being able to like, talk to people who are experiencing the same experience and also like willing to work together to create something that feeds back into each other. That's so, beautiful. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. when like, the industry can be so I mean it's very scary. It's, it's competitive it's and scary. scary. It's terrifying. It's scary. And a part of it's it is like fun. there's the artist level of everyone is trying to make it and fighting for their lives. And then there's the wider um the labels and and there's so much working against artists and, and that and encouraging it's, them. It's a girl, lot it's crazy. One thing that I realized the other day is I also work for a music publisher and I went to like the, the Christmas dinner thing and like I was talking to one of my old like bosses and she was telling me like realistically everybody else unionizes like publishers unionize labels unionize the lawyers they unionize everybody unionizes there's a group of them making decisions for the group of them that feeds back into the group of them that lends to the group of them but they're all making money off of the artists and because artists are individuals it's like oh, well you know you got no, you got no power when you're when you're one person. So it's like, like if you're a creative, if you have bridges who are creatives, like you don't have to be like a label or anything. But being together makes you so much stronger because no matter what you do as as a creative, your art is gonna get taken and used for someone else's bag. <laughs> so, uh-huh. and I guess as well, it's nice oh, with wow. the multidisciplinary backgrounds of your collective as well because 
as what being an artist, like you said, you're so focused on your craft, making your music. You don't have time to now read up on the law, the legalities. And I mean, I'm sure you have to, even though you don't have time, but you know, Having to understand yeah. every little bit and piece, it's not it's not easy. And also make a living because you're still artists always have to do these, um, these side hustles and have six jobs. It's extra job. It's it's not it's so long, but it's also nice because it gives you like creativity is such like a, di- a diverse like mm-hmm. words because it's like there's music, there's dance, there's, there's poetry, there's there's so many different avenues of creativity. So it's just understanding and the appreciation of what other people do because mm-hmm. no matter what creativity always intercepts but it's like it's very easy to look over the videographer because it's like I don't mm-hmm. I don't understand your process in it so me I'm just seeing a video at the end of the day mm-hmm. that's like three minutes so for me that don't really mean that much but then to sit down and and talk to here about one day or like seeing them edit it and realizing oh this is <laughs> this is long like this is this yeah. is hard like it's being able to appreciate and it's like later down the line when I'm working with like another videographer, I'm working with another director, it's like being able to have like the patience. Mm-hmm. Like I get what you do. I really get what you do. In it. And, and it's like, I hope, exactly. I yeah. really respect it because me, me can't do it. Me can't do it. Me can't do everything. We're already too busy being nine. I'm like, come on. Girl, just trying. I'm just trying to pay these bills. <laughs> it's real. And I think the power of community is evident. I mean, watching your journey, being your own artist and making your music and being really authentic to yourself. I think it's really cool. Like you said, you do jazz, kind of soul, alt, neo-soul kind of um, genre. But then with Final Chance, which by the way, was one of my songs of the summer. I was, I was in Greece. That, that made it onto the Holly Bobs playlist. We were in the penthouse doing- The Holly Bobs. Hey. One more chance, you got one more chance. I felt like for you, I'm going to like it. Step outside your usual genre. So tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I was just chanting, you know, I was chanting. Me and Simon were just chanting. My friend Manico, she's a sick DJ, sick DJ, and sick producer. And we like, we've always like, I love dance music. I feel like I like singing dance music. I was tired of people being feeling feeling their feelings by listening to my music. I wanted the song people could just, you know, it's not really shaking yash, but you know, you can shake yash if you want to do it. You know what I'm saying? So I wanted to try a thing. Yeah, it was real cute. So I did that with um with Sam Ming. Um, yeah, and Manico, and it was cute. We're gonna be we might be working on a on a dance EP project, but we might we might not be. We might not be. We might be, we might not be. If they do, you had to hit first. So (laughs) you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But yeah. Was that challenging to have to kind of stretch outside of your genre? Um, I don't really think um it wasn't really a stretch. I'd say, I feel like one thing as an artist, I try to be multi-faceted mm-hmm. with my genres, um, just because like there's just a lot more opportunity in different avenues of sound, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's just fun. Like I, I get a little bit bored. I love singing jazz, but I, I like to learn. I, I wouldn't say I'm like I'm like I'm like ten out of ten of all the other genres because it's, mm-hmm. it's really a skill to be able to do to slot into different genres. But yeah. I think it's a lot of fun, like learning the characteristics of them and like being able to emulate them and just do a cheeky little dance track here, do a cheeky little something else there. You know what I'm saying? Just, mm-hmm. just chat up on the people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and one thing again about Nayana, and I'm gonna link all her music in everywhere, so don't worry. Uh, but you, you're 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 the voice, like. Beyond everything, <laughs> your voice is is so distinct, unique. I remember the first time. Remember when you sang at the NCS talent show? <laughs> I remember that. And the first time I'd heard you was a video you showed me of you on Instagram singing Sam Smith, I think. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think your voice is so unique and powerful and beautiful that, again, even doing Final Chance, like I was saying it's a bit of a genre shift, but you're right, you're kind of, you could sing and then they can put whatever over it and it would work. And it's just like when you've got like um those, you know, like AJ Tracy, like you've got like even um what is it? No one knows. Uh, yeah. You know the girl I don't know what that song's called, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the girl is singing. It's it's a garage kind of funky whatever beat, mm. but the vocals are there. So I think as a vocalist and genuinely having that natural vocal talent it really opens a lot of doors and avenues for you. And I'm excited to see how that continues. And yeah, so the community, Ori Jam, like really, really beautiful spaces. And also so London, 
it's Lovely. it's London. If you if anybody was to ask me like where should I go to experience the London underground music scene, one of the main places that they should go, well, is an Ori DC Baker bar. Yeah. Because yeah. you'll get you find every everybody like everyone's there. Like there's yeah. people who aren't even keeping musicians there, yeah. just there, just vibing out. <laughs> I saw there was a mural, there was like a mural painted or something, right? On the night as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, because um, we Arabah, her artist name Rabbit Wisdom, she's just a crazy artist. She does all of the artwork and stuff for like our promotional wow. flyers and that, and she did our logo and whatnot. But she um, she was doing live art outside. Amazing. Um, we just wanted to showcase her, and it was it was beautiful. And she also did a canvas, so we like people could draw their own stuff as well. Amazing. So it was very cute. No, everyone I know were after the next day were like, this was one of the this was a special special night. Um, so well done, very proud. And oh, that was the other thing I wanted Thank to ask: you. the significance of the orange and the tangerine. Orange. Yeah. <laughs> this is a beautiful question. I love people ask this question yeah. here because this orange is so yeah. well thought out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically, but like the backstory is that like when we all met in like the summertime going to Ori Jam, yeah, we would spend so much time together. We did sleepovers that turn into breakfast, that turn into a lunch, that turn into like evening chill, that turn into another sleepover. Like we would just be spending all of us be spending days on days with each other. But like we would always eat oranges, and like whenever we would eat the orange, like we'd always share it, and it just kind of became a thing that no one really picked up on until Araba was like thinking of a logo, and then she was like, like the orange, like a lot of us like. It's a common theme, this orange. And then uh-huh. it was like also the idea of like it's when you open it's like a, it's a it's a singular orange. When you open up the orange, it's all these individual parts that kind of feed back into the wider orange. So it's like that represents us, but then it's also like that it represents the fruits of our labor, and it's like you're I able to share it. the fruits of your labor. So I it's very nice. It. And it's like on the night as well, we have them everywhere, and it's like the the um the ethos is like if you find the orange like eat the orange but if you're gonna eat that orange like share a piece of the orange with somebody you might not know and you might spark up a conversation mm-hmm. you might find your best friend or you might find somebody that you create the next masterpiece with you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. so it's especially because like the industry and a lot of us were noticing is like creative industries is scary but it's also like it's very clicky and we mm-hmm. wanted to be able to create a space where it's like you can not you don't have to be bread brethrens and everybody but yeah. it's like as long as you're able to like look and smile and be like oh you good yeah I'm good instead of yeah. it you look and smile someone's looking at you like what are you looking at don't say anything so you're trying to trying to like exactly trying I to force that. not force but trying to push that so. I love that I love that it is a very like people talk about the corporate industry being brutal but when you really like you know the London creative scene it can be very clean it's not cute it can't it, it's not it's not cute it's not cute and you guys are doing it's kind of scary yeah, you're doing something really special. We're trying to. We be entering these 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 industry parties like we just be shaking yash on the dance floor because everybody mm-hmm. wants to stand up on the corner all stush. When DC arrive at the motive, just know we're there to have fun. Yeah. We're not there to close. But we'll look good, but we'll also have fun. <laughs> As you should. And I love the the orange metaphor because it resonates so well with this whole episode being about collectives and not groups. Because with collectives, with Wu Tang, with RZA, it was like a part of that contract to get these artists together is. Yes, you're in this group. Yes, you're in this collective. But yes, we make music together. But you can have your own career. You can do your own thing. Mm. You're not. You're not restricted. Yeah. Well. It's not going to be a one direction where oh, I want to make my own nah. music. The group's you know what I'm saying? And everybody can do their beautiful. own thing. Yeah, because you, in your own right, you're your own artist, and it's not you know in competition. We we come together, and when we come apart, we support each other. And I think that's something that mm. the community are really really good at doing. And um, yeah, I love it. I'm this it's an upward trajectory. Like I'm just waiting to see what you lot do next. All of these Did you are oh, you weren't even you weren't even there for the announcement. We're putting a float on the road for carnival. It's gonna be bare fun. We're gonna be doing like workshops and stuff on the build up to like it's basically we're doing like the re education of carnival just so wow. that we can try and like have the we have the narrative now, innit? So it's time that we kind of yeah. hold that narrative and say what we gotta say and shake up some noise. So it's gonna be a good year. Insane. And I know you're an integral part of that because can you tell us a little bit about your your family and, and your carnival. You know, you are a big, big part of this Not Hill. People come and it's like, oh, I'm going Not Hill Carnival. This is this touristic, you know, and it's good. It's big. It's big. Every year it's getting insanely massive and also scarily big, to be honest. But yeah, now it's about, about carnival. So tell, carnival. Us, tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a bit about that. Um, so there's like, there's some people who might come for me who are like heavily, heavily in the carnival scene. Yeah. But I've always just kind of had like my step back and watched my parents do what they got to do because I didn't understand enough or have the energy to be a part of it. But Carnival, like my parents, 
have been heavily involved in non-hill carnival since I was born. My dad was has put on a float on the road for like since nineteen. Oh, girl, I can't remember the date. Nineteen ninety 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 nine something. Um, and like they were the first um chocolate dirty mask. So like for those who don't know, like there's the, the like paint powder, there's mud, there's oil. Um, and there's also chocolate. And in Trinidad, like, there's um, all these different variations of dirty masks. And my dad brought chocolate over to England and he introduced it. So he was the first chocolate mask man on the, on the road. Um, and we just have, like, um, integral roots. Like, my mum used to be, like, one of the chair members of, like, the Notting Hill, like, um, the camp carnival committee. So she helped with, like, a lot of the internal workings of carnival and the stuff that they did do. Um, and, like, so we're basically teaming up with my dad's band to kind of mix that, the intergeneration, the intergenerational connection because I feel oh, so like our generation and her generation yeah you're like and DC collaborating because it's time that there's such a disconnect between the old and the young and it's like the younger like our generation is not getting any younger so that disconnect is like you're starting to feel the disconnect with the younger generation and it's like creativity always brings people together so it's like you know if we're able to do that we're going to try and do that so we're doing a couple of workshops just with the re-education to build people the connections a couple of vibes and then Stop. yeah amazing amazing yeah I mean this is really just the start for the youth of DC with Ori like now they've got um Tuesdays in Peckham they've got Jumbi so it's really yeah. just growing and evolving and I'm really privileged and excited to to know you and get that little insight like yeah to to be able to sit with you and 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 learn and learn more and and hear more you guys are really breaking the lines between these industries or these you know can't these spaces carnival or DC they're all blurring and that's something that's really exciting they don't have to exist so I think that's what people are a lot of um a lot of business people are starting to not they are high key stressed in it they're high key stressed because I have a lot of people sitting down and talking to me like oh so what's the business plan or like the direction or you know like you need to solidify your entity and I'm like well like high key um I feel like a lot of it's not the problem but I feel like there's so much of the creative industries that is separated when it doesn't really need to be separated and like our like as the community like our goal is to to give back where we can so it's like if we're able to bring everybody together unification I, I will like coming together people always think that like when you're together you have to be together for everything mm. if we're able to unify people on one little thing then you come together for that one thing and then go back mm. on your separate ways like even like the whole idea of the community is like like you're saying of collective it's like you're together but you're all separate entities and mm-hmm. it's like when you go to church on a Sunday like you might not you know stuck mm-hmm. there for the whole rest of the, the rest of the week the rest of the month the rest of the year mm-hmm. every Sunday you come together you do your thing you go away um mm-hmm. pray to God you come back you know what I'm saying so it's like if you're able to find something that unifies a lot of people why not there's so much madness happening in this world and there's people are very comfortable with the idea of like that the separation and you're this color or you you believe in that you believe in this like creativity is, is there's a lot less like there is politics, but there's less politics, and it's easy to kind of just let the creativity do the talking, connect to you, and then separate. <laughs> Absolutely, but that's yeah, that's what sounds of diaspora as well is about. It's about diaspora experiences, not just from one diaspora, but across, not just through music, but through art, not just through art, mm. but through kind of like re- academia and through interviews mm. and through sounds, just everything, mm-hmm. just everything, um, and even just. Not to get too political with it, but even like this whole infrastructure. Get political. Get political. Yeah. Even like this whole infrastructure of capitalism that the music industry is sitting on top of. Like people are nervous of the dynamic of the community because they're nervous of what it can do for the structure of business in the creative industries. The creative industries, it's a very, very comfortable industry like money-wise. And really and truly, a lot of it, it 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 like capitalizes off of the exploitation of creatives. So it's like it is a model that needs to be changed and adjusted, like a lot of things in our in our society. Like everything needs to be changed and moved around. So it's like if we can do something that makes people, oh, oh my gosh, realize you know <laughs> they're messing up, but not messing up, but there needs to be a revisitation because new things are being done that don't meet the parameters that have been set in place from before. Then you know, shake it up. It might cause a little bit of headache, but you know, when the dust settles, <laughs> guess we'll see what's left. <laughs> exactly. And big up for taking it into <laughs> your own hands and not waiting for somebody else to do it. So keep an eye on Naya yeah, now. I'm tired of waiting for. <laughs> she ain't I'm going tired of waiting for the white man. <laughs> no, no, no. She ain't going nowhere. And 
Naina's on it. Naina's always performing. You're one of the artists I know as well. You're always performing. Always. If it's not the Doc Martens, if it's not Ori, you're always performing. You're a performer as well. Like a lot of artists, they make they make the record, but you're a performer. And that is that is insane. So thank you for giving your time to Sons of Diaspora. Anything else you want to say? Any thoughts about collectives, you know, music, Sounds of Diaspora itself? Any um, anything you want to tell the people? Um Oh my gosh. Um, I just want to say thank you for having me. This has been a really nice conversation. Um, my, my word to the people is that don't be afraid to connect. Like, it's not about force to be up in everybody's face all the time, but like, don't be afraid to connect and have them hard conversations and try to be respectful because now we're in an age where like, there's a lot happening and I feel like we're all, everybody's more like woke in the sense where like, I feel like it's a conversation that can help move like little, little increments that, that can result in big change. Um, and I also think that creativity is like creativity is what catalyzes change. So it's like let's lean into that. Like everybody loves to consume, like consume creativity. And creativity is more than just music. It's more than just like dancing and film. Like creativity is reimagining the future that we want. So lean into that. Don't be afraid. Theorize. Conversate. Tap into some music. Watch a new film that changes your mind. Read a book. Read a book. Keep read reading a book. book. <laughs> read a book. Audio book, like on, something man. you know. Stay tapped in. Keep up with Sound Diaspora. Keep up with Nyan if you want to hear about the real music going on in London, the authentic stuff. Yes, and yeah, keep listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>you want to hear more if you enjoyed what you heard today check out our instagram our tiktok our twitter sounds of diaspora we are everywhere you can catch us at instagram at sounds of the diaspora with two a and across twitter tiktok and also on spotify if you want to hear more along with every episode we have a playlist to accompany where you can listen to some of the music mentioned get a listen to niana to return to some of our favorite tunes and don't be don't be a stranger tell us what you think tell us what you like if there's any um, things you disagree with or you know any anything you thought really should be included here i kind of want to uplift the less spoken about artists or stories that being said dreamville is quite big so maybe i'm a hypocrite but yeah tell us what you think stay tuned and continue to uplift the sounds of diaspora see you next time